Hi, and welcome to Friday I'm in Love. Um, this and is Mondays our, I post podcasts. <laughs> this is our new podcast. I'm Gail Eubank. I'm Michelle Norton. And we're here to talk to you about a bunch of different things. Mostly us. Um, and being gay and dating in the late 80s and growing up in the 80s and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Gail's always said that musically and otherwise, and androgyny, like with David Bowie and Prince and some of the female rock stars, everybody was a little bit gay. And in the I, 80s. In the 80s. Mm-hmm. More people should be gay now a little bit, especially in culture. And I think we might be coming back to that point. Um, but I always said we should write a book together, and Gail's not real fond of that idea since she's an <laughs> editor in her Real work life, life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't finish sentences sometimes, <laughs> so I think doing a book together might break her brain, so we're going to podcast and tell you a little bit about what it was like growing up gay in the 80s and dating in the late 80s and all of that, and as well as occasionally touch on things we're doing now when 30 years later when we're married and um, going to see Bohemian Rhapsody and kind of having flashbacks to where we started. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so today we saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, we did. And it was pretty solid. Yeah, it was very solid movie. Um, the performances were excellent. Yes, they were. It, it was a lot more moving than I was expecting it to be. Um, because, well, you probably know, it. Queen did a set during Live Aid. And they were in Wembley Stadium. And it's the very end of the movie. Um, as well as the very beginning of the movie. And the beginning, yes. Um, but... I was a lot more moved than I was expected to be because Freddie Mercury was there on stage playing Bohemian Rhapsody and singing about dying when he had found out that he had AIDS and then so there was that emotion going on there was also the seeing that packed stadium with what a hundred thousand people there and he was just really living in the moment yeah really living in the moment and also like conducting them while they were singing his songs to him i like movies where the beginning of them i like any Mm -hmm. kind of art where the beginning Mm -hmm. of it you find the end of it at the end of it you find yourself back in the beginning Mm -hmm. and in the beginning of the movie i was talking about how um, when he was performing with an audience like that, he couldn't not be in tune. And because of his health and stuff at the end of the movie, you're wondering if he was going to be able to put in a performance. And that movie mm-hmm. really puts you in the emotional moment of him, you know, thriving off the audience. I, I'm a director, theater director by nature, profession, etc. And it always amazes me how actors are really literally fueled by an audience and musicians are the same way i mean lizzie hale of hailstorm has written one of the best love songs ever and it's not about a person it's about how she feels about her audience and based on that and some of my acting experiences i've come to learn that it really is the audience is a whole battery for many performers and where they put their emotional heart and that scene in Bohemian Rhapsody, when Gail's talking about it, it really showed you that even if he'd been weak and out of tune and, you know, his bandmates, they were all a bit creaky because they hadn't been together for a while, but 
it's the audience that brought them together in that high that you get. I mean, it's it's probably the best natural high you can get in public <laughs> for some people. I mean, not so much for me, but I have seen performers like that, and they really do live from performance to performance. Mm-hmm. And I got, I was so reminded of that in that moment, and it pulled back to his, he couldn't be out of tune, you know, because he was so locked in. So I like movies that have, I like any kind of art, like I said, that gives you a little bit, lays some seeds and found work in the beginning that pay off for you in the end. <laughs> I was surprisingly emotional, it kind of skimmed Queen. Yeah, because there was so much ground to cover. Yeah, and we both walked out of the movie and found out it was a lot longer than we had expected. But mm-hmm. that was probably because it packed in music. Well, yeah, because when you've got, when you're starting with Queen's music as your background, then there's only so far away from that you can go. And there's also, you can't go too, too wrong because you've got Queen <laughs> backing true. you up right there. <laughs> yeah, um, it was very interesting about how they put things together and how much of a group effort it was. And mm-hmm. I mean, you looked, you, I watched the credits to see what songs, because Gail, it turns out Gail and I don't talk about music a lot because we're at opposite of the spectrums. So I didn't expect her to be as emotional about the movie as she was because I honestly didn't think she liked Queen. And for me, most of my Queen experience was going to field hockey games. And um, when I was in high school, I, I listened to Queen more since then, but that was, you know, you would be singing, we are the champions and pounding, we will, we will rock you to get yourself psyched up. Um, not so much of the emotional, personal connection. There were other bands that did that for me, which we'll talk about a later date because I'm trying not to get off topic too much. And where did I start with this? I was surprised by your reaction. Yes. And there was something else. Oh, well, I got off topic. This will happen. Get used to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got a, a lot more emotional than I was expected to. I was actually crying at the end. Oh, you're talking about how they created stuff. And I was watching the screen credits. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised by how many different... They each wrote different songs. And I found that mm-hmm. most of the Queen songs I remembered were the Brian May songs. And I think, honestly, most of what Gail would find, she would discover that Freddie Mercury had written them because... Mm-hmm. They were two different emotional, you know, we're coming at this from two different emotional perspectives, which is something I learned from manga at a very age. I'm ashamed, embarrassed to admit that girls can have two entirely different sets of emotions and both can be valid. Um, but so I, I, I suspect that if Gail goes through, she will find that her songs were the songs that she remembers from Queen or written by Freddie. And because it seemed like during the movie you were connecting to those moments. Mm-hmm. And then when I was looking the songs that I remember, someone else was writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is possibly why our Queen experiences also aren't connected. Which makes sense because we have very different musical experience. Hit them with yours. Or that's not on the list. That's <laughs> not. Um, well, my musical experience or my musical taste? taste yeah. Oh, well, I I have always liked Queen's music um, but when I was in high school I was heavily into the police and the Ramones and um, a lot of the early 80s alternative bands like Men at Work and um, oh shoot Bob 
Gilder's band. Oh, the Boomtown Rats. There we go. Oh, the um, one with the Monday song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and also <laughs> Prince. Prince was pretty big. Yeah, Prince is kind of where we agreed on, but Mm -hmm. I went to a a very urban uh, Louisville, Kentucky high school, and I lived in Surfer City, New Jersey. Well, I lived on the mainland (laughs) from Surfer City, New Jersey, so my musical experience was a bit more um, hair rock, I suppose you'd call them. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm fluffier than Gal. (laughs) Sticks and Foreigner and a whole lot of songs that I only realized the double entendres of, because I was raised by very strict Catholic parents. Um... Much later in life, I I made Gail a mixtape once upon a time, and I listen to it now and think, oh my god, how did I put that song on there? Mm. Um, but that's a that's a story for another day. Um, mm-hmm. Back to the music, what the performances were awesome. Yes, all of the performances were really. I love really cool. the when I love seeing bands start out in a bar, you mm-hmm. know, and and he in the seeing them grow and watching them grow stylistically and. You know, watching him experiment with clothes and identity, or uh, on stage, yeah, on stage personality, yeah, on stage persona, yeah, yeah, that was that was fascinating. It was really Gail said it's like the biography of Freddie Mercury is told by his bandmates, and I think that's it. It's kind of it doesn't dive into the seamier side of things. It it talks about him being a bisexual. It hints, well, it shows the men. It does kissing. It hints at some of the wilder things. But for a movie about a band that expresses itself with so much variety of music, um, it seems a bit tame, which probably is part of why both Gail and I, well, she gave it a B plus initially. I gave it an A minus, but on second thought, it was more educational than exciting but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it wasn't bad yeah there was, uh, yeah, it was i'm not saying it was bad it's just i found it interesting not emotionally like the runaways movie was much more inspirational for me but that's probably because it involved joe jet and girls and um i find it was very i found myself interested by the creative process and the choices he made personally and the things he left behind freddie mercury left behind like his fiance to go out and get fame because that's part of what interests me about artists is whether they make choices to collaborate together whether they whether their family life is wrapped up in their art whether their family life is an escape from their art because for me i've I paint and some of the my visual art stuff, but for all of my theater and other art, I always try to get Gail involved because art involves growth and I want Gail to be there. And so watching the movie and seeing Eddie or Freddie um, really want get drawn to the gay side of things. Mm-hmm. And you wonder about his fiance at home and what would have happened if she'd come along and what would have happened to them if he had known or admitted earlier mm-hmm. and it had been part of the package because I think she figured it out well she they had a really nice moment in the movie where she knew whether or not she told herself at that point you knew that she knew mm-hmm. that he liked men Yes. Um. so I'm always fascinated by where your personal life fits into your artistic life and that sort of thing. And this movie was a good look at that because mm-hmm. he was the only person or they all 
help me. <laughs> okay. Well, it seemed like Mary was the person that he connected with the most. Mm-hmm. He, um, is it Freddie Mercury connected with the most? And as the fame grew and as they toured the entire world, it did it seem like he was he was choosing the fame. He did he didn't he didn't cut things off with her so much as she admitted she, she wasn't getting what she wanted from him. Yes. Or needed. Yeah. Um, but I think he was letting the fame in, and I think toward the end of the movie, they make that a point that that also wasn't really him. What do you mean? Well, I mean, like when with the shim thing at the end, you know, there's the dude who encourages him to be wilder and wilder, and the dude who mm. won't have anything to do with him until he's a person who respects himself again. Right. So I think the part of the fame and perhaps if they had gone down the showing you the seamier thing route you might have seen a little more self-loathing where he recovered from that yes maybe uh but yeah but i think part of the movie was where he was also not only getting away from her but and and she was like the touchstone to who he really was that his Mm -hmm. family didn't see and that nobody's Mm -hmm. i think the band did um because they always showed a very close relationship between all the members of the band and that was really nice to see mm-hmm. I think part of the diving into fame and big parties was him and Queen actually would walk the rest of Queen would actually walk out of the big parties that they showed a scene with that mm-hmm. was Freddie getting away from himself as an artist and into Freddie the fame machine mm-hmm. <laughs> which is another thing that happens to a lot of artists and that's a hard choice to make when you're out there, you know, getting the accolades from the audience. That's the, it that's like the it would be flip hard side to of that. See that. That you're doing that. Yeah, if you don't have someone who can point it out. Right. But that's the other thing. Like with any high, you keep wanting it, and mm-hmm. and so it has to keep getting bigger. Yeah, and so if well, it doesn't have to, but that's well, if you're talking about high, yeah, it does. But then there's satisfaction that isn't. You can get a high from satisfaction without it having to be. a bigger hit every time especially artistic satisfaction I mean completing a challenge and doing it this is the difference between an introvert and a performer okay a performer can be an introvert too yeah but you get an exterior buzz I mean part Mm -hmm. of what drives you is the audience reaction and part of what drives other people is fixing a puzzle Mm -hmm. and the sense of accomplishing like writing a song is a certain accomplishment and Mm -hmm. each song is a different problem but it's not necessarily a bigger problem it's a different problem so you don't necessarily need a bigger high it's just you know what I mean it's just and then there's the addictive personality where Mm -hmm. everything's got to be bigger and better and and I don't know if that was Freddie Mercury's personality or not this is just a riffing off of the conversation but there was definitely a point where he was choosing bigger and better fame as opposed to solitude and being alone with himself and having, I mean, and that's that's a really standard part of every artist's journey that they bring to the big screen or the books, mm-hmm. and it's also a choice that you make. You know what? What are your values and what are your personal values? What are your artistic values? Are they the same thing? And why do you do things? Okay, so let's go back to our list. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually at Live Aid, 
I, we made a handy list because we tried to test podcast and it was sucky. <laughs> it wasn't sucky. It was just way too entertaining. And I rambled. Um, I was actually at the Philadelphia Live Aid because I'm a dork and my mother made me come. <laughs> <laughs> because she realized it was a once-in-a-lifetime phenomenal earth-shaking event. And um, so I had to go be the adult with my siblings because I was a freshman in college at that point. Um, I remember the Hooters kicking it off. They were amazing because they were a Philly band and they were at home and they were opening for all of these huge acts. But I don't, I mean, they did broadcast the stuff from Wembley, I'm pretty sure. But I remember, um, I remember Led Zeppelin's mostly reunion, except for John Bonham, right? That's the drummer. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, they were electric and that's what I walked away from Live Aid with, along with. You know, it was amazing, and I did put my book down eventually and take the earplugs out <laughs> and let my sister sit on my shoulders for Duran Duran because everyone in my family who wasn't me and gay, and I didn't even know I was gay then, had a crush on Simon LeBon. Well, not my brothers, but my mom and my sister were big Simon LeBon fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I am. Uh, but yeah, Live Aid. Wow. But it was amazing to see the shots at Wembley. Yeah, there was this amazing <sighs> shot where... They started like up in the sky and swooped down into the audience in Wembley and then up to the stage. That was incredible. It's amazing when there are shots like that that you remember from movies. It's funny, but the live aid ties into our next thing, which is the AIDS. And um, but I always thought that I kind of associated AIDS with Live Aid in my concert. I suppose partly because of that, but I had completely forgotten that it was Bob Geldof and the famine in Ethiopia. Yeah, I had forgotten what it was for. Oh, for yeah. fundraising for you remember it exists mm-hmm. because um they only really lightly touch on the AIDS thing and the horror of it because it, I mean mm-hmm. Gal and I we we were in college. In the late 80s. In the late 80s when when the real horror of AIDS came out. Mm -hmm. And um, our experience with that was not so much, well, Freddie Mercury didn't tell anybody he was... Yeah, Freddie Mercury didn't say that he had AIDS until I think two days before he died. That was one of Gail's points after the movie was what would have happened if he'd... If he'd said something, if he had spoken out and told people what was going on with him personally and as a because then I mean I remember when Rock Hudson died and that I think he was the first celebrity who died from AIDS that people knew about that people knew about well was Mablethorpe out when we saw those photos um well Mablethorpe had died by the time we saw those photos Right, because that was my first ex- introduction yeah. to age. Well, except for my buddies being terrified. But um, um, when when I was in grad school, one of my one of the courses I took was art. Um, well, I, I was a journalism major, and we I did a whole quarter on uh, art journalism. One of the things that we did was um, at the time that was when the Maplethorpe exhibit was being banned in like Ohio for being obscene and um, one of the things that my class did was to go see the exhibit because it was in Chicago then and um, yeah Gail took I tagged along on these things because she would go see plays and sometimes I would get to go and so I went to the Maplethorpe exhibit and I always since I was a kid had a camera 
um, and really like photography, but it, it was really the first time that I saw photography as an art. I mean, still to this day, those pictures are stunning. Um, and there were some flower photos. There were a lot of the um, naked men photos and, and dude S&M photos. And and considering that my two best buddies in college, we kind of all worked. We, um, my uh, two best friends, they were both gay and they came out their, their freshman year and I had never had any experience with anything like that before. And then gradually I figured things out by the time I was a senior. And so thank you everyone who didn't tell me I was gay before I realized it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rob and Joe, you know, I've I'd never, they, <laughs> Rob's from Nebraska. He's, he says he's, he's, sometimes he says he's too weird for the normal guys and too normal for the weird guys, which is a pretty good self-description. Hi, Rob. Hopefully you'll listen to this. But so I was completely unprepared for Maplethorpe and the bodies and the body parts. And, but it made you a little breathless with shock, but it also made you breathless because it was beautiful. Oh my yeah, God, he even took shots of that. himself when he was dying. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh my God, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It still is. Look him up. Read Just Kids, he and Patty Smith in New York. Um, I can't get Gail to read it yet, but it's an amazing book about their early days in New York and how they got through it together. And part of, you know, the start of Maplethorpe. Um, I just recently was researching Maplethorpe because I was doing a, a Love Life fan fiction. Uh, it's called Photo Jazz because I wanted to talk about photography because photography and Maplethorpe and it's all really big part of my growth growth as a grown up artist I guess is a good way to put it um and so um I was reading some quotes about Maplethorpe and how instant the art was and he just it was very ephemeral for him and theater is very ephemeral for me and I appreciated that you know it was he was in the moment sure he was he captured it but it was also just there. <laughs> it if I looked up the quotes, it would be good. Anyway, there's a really good quote that says, he says, beauty and the devil are one, and it's very true. And you can see it in his art. You can see everything in his art. And that's one of the things that I realized when Freddie Mercury was composing Bohemian Rhapsody and Queen was composing Bohemian Rhapsody, how raw it started. Mm-hmm. You know, it started with him reflecting back when he was a boy and his dad didn't support him going listening to music or even playing it you know you could see that just a poor boy from a poor family Mm -hmm. you know that need for someone to understand him is what the seed of the glory that is the operatic masterpiece that is Bohemian Mm -hmm. Rhapsody right Mm mm-hmm it was also fun to watch them do all the the names. What names? Scaramouche. Oh yes. Galileo Galilei. Yeah. <laughs> that. And and I love it that the drummer is the one who is singing all of the really really high notes in that song. <laughs> yeah. Did I interrupt you when you had a maple fork thought? Yeah, you did. But I don't remember what it was. So. Okay. So um, anything else we want to talk about? No. What else have we got here? Because we're at 23 minutes and I've we told him. probably wrap it up. Okie dokie. Um, wrap up coherently. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is our idea. We're going to sit around every couple weeks and talk to you about maybe our favorite dates or what we're watching. Or... 
you know, movies that we've just seen or that sort of thing. Or big life events for us, like coming out to family sometimes. Or or if there are just big events going on, we might yeah. talk about that. Speaking of which, go vote on Tuesday. Go vote on Tuesday. It's important. It's so important. If you're yes. an American, go vote. Suffragettes handcuffed themselves to things so you could vote. And worse, far worse things. Um, and well, there will probably be Shakespeare rants and some talk about how we approach things creatively. We're kind of in a lull for us. We're trying to set up a performance of the importance of being earnest, but I'm trying not to talk about Shakespeare quite so much right now. Um, so yeah, this is our fiendish plan. My fiendish plan that I have actually talked gallant. <laughs> um, so talk, say something. Uh, I hate it when you do that. Uh, Fine, I'll stop doing that. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. So come out with us in two weeks. We might actually talk about Dick Tracy. Have you seen that movie? Because it's a hoot. <laughs> um, or if there's something you'd like us to talk about, let us know. You can reach us various ways, which I'm sure I will put in the intro to this. But Twitter, we I live on Twitter, and Gail spends some time there. So mm-hmm. um, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Bohemian Rhapsody is certainly worth the watch. Um, we both came out of that movie thinking... I want Queen to be on the radio. <laughs> yeah, we didn't turn on the radio after that movie because it wouldn't have been, it might not have been Queen. Yeah, and so now I kind of want to listen to Radio Gaga because that's a Queen song that I'm not familiar with and it sounded kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So yes. I think I'm going to be streaming Spotify Queen for a while because you can stream stuff on Spotify and YouTube will sometimes jerk you around. Mm-hmm. Um, plus their algorithms lead you straight to radicalization so be careful if you're just roaming around youtube um anyway so this is michelle this is gail and fridays we're in love and mondays we post podcasts and so in two weeks come out with us again take care vote and you are a champion